Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome to this week's edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we discuss some of the best moments, best names, and best memories in sports history. I'm Dana Augusta, your host, and I'm back again with another show highlighting the best in sports history, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to hear what's going on in the world of sports history. And as a reminder, please subscribe to this podcast if you like what you hear here. And check out our Twitter page at HistoricallySP2 for your daily dose of sports history. Now on today's show, we will pay tribute to the newly crowned World Series champion Atlanta Braves. And the only way we do it here on the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. And that is examining the history of the franchise, highlighting the three other times the Braves hoisted the World Series trophy. Also on today's show, we will have the top five history-making events that celebrated anniversaries this past week, and the shout-out which deals with the new football league that changed the way the game was played and its influence that still resonates today. So sit back and enjoy the show, and you're tuned in to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast from the the Sports History Network. The Pigskin Tales Podcast is all about the lesser-known pro football players. Yes, there are stories about the ones we know, like Brad Tarkenton and Harold Red Grange. But, have you ever heard of Ernie Nevers? How about Dave Osborne or even Grady Alderman? These men created their own path to the NFL. How did they do it? Listen to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Now streaming on your favorite music platform. Go to pigskintales.com. Hello and welcome back to this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I am your host, Dana Augusta, and we're right now heading headlong into this week's main event. And this week's main event, we're going to be talking about the newly crowned World Series champion, Atlanta Braves. Now, over the last 30 years, the Braves have been a consistent National League power, and over the course of that time, they have had a string of success that has been unequal throughout the history of the National League. From 1991 to 2005, the Braves have won an unprecedented 14 consecutive division titles and producing one of the greatest pitching rotations in the history of baseball. This rotation consisted of pitchers Greg Maddox, John Smoltz and Tom Glavin. 
Now, the Braves advanced to the World Series five times during the decade of the 90s, 1991, 92, 95, 96, and 99, and winning the title in 1995 against the Cleveland Indians. Now, since their debut in the National League way back in 1876 as the Boston Red Stockings, the franchise has won a Major League Baseball record 21 divisional titles, 18 National League pennants, and four World Series championships. In 1914 at the Boston Braves, in 1957 at the Milwaukee Braves, and in 1995 and 2021 as the Atlanta Braves, making them the only Major League Baseball franchise to have won the World Series in three different home cities. Now, the Braves and the Chicago Cubs are the only two remaining charter franchises in the National League. The Braves were founded in Boston, Mass. in 1871 as the Boston Red Stockings, not to be confused with the Boston Red Sox. And the team states it is the oldest continuously operating professional sports franchise in America. After various name changes, the team eventually began operating as the Boston Braves which lasted for most of the first half of the 20th century. Then in 1953, the team moved to Milwaukee and became the Milwaukee Braves, followed by their move to Atlanta in 1966. For their first World Series championship, it came way back in 1914, as the Braves put together one of the most memorable seasons in baseball history. Known as the Miracle Braves, that season they started out with an dismal 4-18 record and seemed to be on pace for a last place finish. And on July the 4th, 1914, the Braves lost both games of a doubleheader to the Brooklyn Dodgers. The, the consecutive losses put their record at 26-40, putting them in the cell of the National League, 15 games behind the league-leading New York Giants who had won the previous three league pennants. After a day off, the Braves started to put together a hot streak, and from July the 6th through September 15th, the Braves went 41-12. and Then on September 7th and 8th, the Braves took two or three games from the New York Giants and moved in the first. Now, the Braves tore through September and early October, closing their regular season with a mark of 25-6, and while the Giants went 16-16. and they're the only team under the old 18-league format to win a pennant after being in last place on the 4th of July. They were in last place actually as late as July 18th, but were close to the pack, moving in the 4th on July the 21st and in second place by August the 12th. Despite the amazing regular season comeback, the Braves entered the World Series that year as a heavy underdog to Connie Mack's Philadelphia Athletics. Nevertheless, the Braves swept the A's, which was the very first sweep in modern World Series history, winning their very first World Championship. The Braves, the Braves played the World Series as well as the last few games of the 1914 season at historic Fenway Park, since their normal home at the time, the South End Grounds, was too small. However, the Braves' success inspired owner James Gaffney to build a modern ballpark which became Braves Field, which opened in August of 1915. It was the largest park in the majors at the time with a 40,000 seat capacity and a very spacious outfield. Now, the Braves would remain in Boston until 1953 when Braves owner Lou Perini would move the team out of Boston to the upper Midwest in Milwaukee. 
In their first season in Milwaukee, which was in 1953, the Braves were wildly successful, drawing a National League record 1.8 million fans in their new home, Milwaukee County Stadium. In their fifth season in Milwaukee, which would have been 1957, the Braves would make the world's win the pennant, this time playing against the mighty New York Yankees. The Braves won 95 games that season and lost 59 to win the pennant, eight games over the St. Louis Cardinals. Milwaukee got off to a blistering start in the series, leading the Yankees three games to one. Yet the powerful Yankees would rally in the series, forcing a game seven in the Bronx. Pitcher Lou Burdett was the star and most valuable player of the series, winning three games, including the crucial seventh game played in New York City, beating the Yankees and becoming the first non-New York-based team to win the series since the Cleveland Indians did it in 1948. Now, the Braves finished the regular season that year with 95-59 record and scored 772 runs while giving up 613. And they played their games at Milwaukee County Stadium where they held where they sold just over 2 million tickets, which was the tops in the National League. The Braves were led on offense by future Hall of Famer right fielder Hank Aaron, who was the National League's most valuable player that year in just his fourth year in the league. Fielding as well, fielding well in 151 games in right field, Aaron also led the National League with 118 runs scored, 44 home runs, and a career high of 132 RBIs, and 369 total bases. He only struck out 58 times during the year. Aaron also finished high in the league standings with 198 hits and a 322 batting average. Another offensive star was third baseman Eddie Matthews. And on June 20, on June 12th, Matthews hit his 200th home run of his career. And for the season, Matthews was second on the team with 167 hits, 109 runs, and 32 home runs. Dale Crandall was the Braves catcher in 118 of 154 games. The starting pitcher, of, of course, was Hall of Famer Warren Spahn, who was a Cy Young Award winner and the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. He's the first left-handed pitcher to win the award, and Spahn finished with 35 games, finished with 35 games started with a 21-11 record. He also relieved in four games, saving three of, and saving three of those. Spahn led the National League with 21 wins and 18 complete games, and he held a 2.69 earned run average. After moving to Atlanta in 1966, the Braves had a decade of mediocrity through the, seven, through, the, through the 70s and the early 80s. But by 1991, they had become a perennial power and surprised the experts in re- reaching the World Series in 1991, losing to the Minnesota Twins, and again in 92, losing to the Toronto Blue Jays. The Braves were making their third attempt in four years to capture Atlanta's first title when they reached the Royal Series in 1995. When the season started, the Braves overcome some early consistently inconsistency, I should say, and eventually won their division by 21 games. And in the playoffs, they decisively overwhelmed the Colorado Rockies, making their first postseason appearance ever, and then sweeping the Cincinnati Reds in the league championship series. Spoiling an all-Ohio World Series in the process. The team relied on clutch hitting and powerful pitching rotation, which was made up by the aforementioned 
winners, Cy Young winners, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, and John, and Steve Avery. Meanwhile, that year, their opponents, the Cleveland Indians, was in the postseason for the first time since winning the American League pennant in 1954 and entered the World Series as slight favorites led by Sandy Alomar, Albert Bell, and Kenny Lofton. And after winning the first two games in Atlanta, the Braves fell to the Indians in Game 3, losing 7-6 in 11 innings, as veteran Eddie Murray singled to center, scoring pitch runner Alvaro Espinosa. In Game 4, Atlanta claimed a 5-2 win as Steve Avery got the win as a starter for the Braves. However, the Braves would lose Game 5 to former World Series Most Valuable Player, Oral Horsheiser, for Cleveland as the Braves headed back to Atlanta for Game 6. However, in the morning of Game 6, controversy struck the, the Braves as Atlanta newspapers printed stories that Braves right fielder David Justice had ripped the city's fans for not matching the team's motivation in past seasons. Justice was vilified because he was also struggling at the plate during the series. Yet all would be forgotten, however, as he homered in the bottom of the sixth inning and coupled with Glavin's one hitter, the Braves would clinch their first world title in Atlanta and third overall, beating the Indians one to nothing and claiming the series four games to two. Now, with their recent victory over the Astros this past week, the Braves captured their fourth championship in Atlanta, their fourth championship overall, and their second in Atlanta, claiming a four games to two win in that series. So congratulations to the newly crowned World Series champion, Atlanta Braves. And now, on to this week's Top 5. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Dana Augusta, your host, and you're tuned in to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. And before we get on with the rest of the show, one sign that we're growing here at this podcast, Historically Speaking Sports, and the Sports History Network, for that matter, is that we have a sponsor, and that is newspapers.com. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a serious sports fan like myself, and if you're into sports history, you really do need to check out newspapers.com. At newspapers.com, you can get access to over 640 million pages worth of news from the United States, Canada, England, and all different countries from around the world dating back all the way to 1798. Get a one free one-week subscription to newspapers.com by visiting the sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. And with a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this and other Sports History Network shows. That's Sports History network.com slash newspapers and also check out our twitter feed at historically sp2 for your daily dose of sports history also you could drop us a line or two at our email address at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com and finally don't forget to hit that subscribe button button where you hear this podcast so you could get new episodes whenever they come out and now, this week's top five, and if you're new to the program, this is what we call this segment the top five, and it's the top five history-making events in sports history that celebrated that celebrated anniversaries this past week. And today, we're, cel- we're highlighting the events that took place between the dates of October the 31st and November the 6th. 
And now, number five. On November the 6th, 1899, the very first ever collegiate football game took place in New Brunswick, New Jersey, between Rutgers and the College of New Jersey, as you know now as Princeton University. The game was played on a field on College Ash Avenue, which is now the site of the College Avenue Gymnasium. Since the game was played at Rutgers, it was played under the quote-unquote Rutgers rules, which included two teams of 25 players attempting to score by kicking a ball into the opposing team's goal. When it was over, Rutgers, known as the Queensmen at the time, defeated the Tigers 6-4. The total attendance that day, 100 people. Number 4. The Lakers began the longest winning streak in pro sports history. On November 5th, 1971, the Los Angeles Lakers, led by the likes of Jerry West and Will Chamberlain, defeated the Baltimore Bullets 110-106. Although no one knew it at the time, it was the beginning of the longest winning streak in the history of American professional sports. The streak lasted 33 games as the Lakers would finish the regular season with an impressive 69-13 record. Along with Hall of Famers, Will Chamberlain and Jerry West, the Lakers had guard Gail Goodrich, along with former college All-American and future Lakers coach named Pat Riley. The Lakers would go on to dominate the postseason and defeat the New York Knicks in five games for their first championship after moving to the West Coast from Minneapolis. Number three, the Chicago Cubs win their first World Series since 1908. On November the 2nd, 2016, after 108 years of frustration, the Chicago Cubs and their long-suffering fans finally won a World Series, and it wasn't easy. It had to go seven games against the Cleveland Indians, another team that had to wait a long time and is still waiting for that elusive World Series title. The Cubs, in their first World Series since 1945, had erased a three games to one deficit to force a dramatic Game 7 at Progressive Field in Cleveland. With the, clubs, with the Cubs leading 6-3 heading into the bottom of the 8th, Cleveland rallied scoring three runs, which included a two-run home run by center fielder Rajay Davis to tie the game, sending it into extra innings. However, right before the 10th inning began, a sudden cloudburst delayed the game for 17 minutes. When the game resumed, the Cubs would score two runs in the top half of the 10th, securing their first World Series victory in over a century. Number 2. The Basketball Association of America debuts. On November 1st, 1946, a new pro basketball league would make its debut known as the Basketball Association of America, which you now know, of course, as the NBA. The debut game of the league took place at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto between the New York Knicks and the Toronto Huskies. The Knicks would go on to edge the Huskies 68-66 in the inaugural game. Along with the Knicks, the Celtics and Warriors, which still exist today, were charter members of the new league. Other teams included the Washington Capitals, bought Providence Steamrollers, the Chicago Stags, St. Louis Bombers, Cleveland Rebels, Detroit Falcons, and Pittsburgh Ironmen. And the number one event that took place this week in history is the Arizona Diamondbacks claiming their very first World Series against the New York Yankees. The World Series took place after 9-11. Now, it was a battle between the upstart Diamondbacks, which was in their very first ever World Series, taking on the, three, the reigning three-time 
World Series champion Yankees with the backdrop of the tragedies that happened on September 11th was actually postponed the season for a couple of weeks. The Yankees were an odds-on favorite to win as well as a sentimental favorite. But the series had a lot of several twists and turns and made it one of the most memorable in baseball history. It would become the first World Series ever to be decided in the month of November and the series was decided in the bottom of the ninth inning in Game 7 when Luis Gonzalez singled to center field, scoring the winning run to upset the Yankees and give the Diamondbacks their first and only World Series title. Now that wraps up this week's top five of historic events. And coming up next, this week's shout out going back to 1959 and the announcement of a new football league that will be in direct competition with the NFL and will profoundly change the game of pro football. Stay tuned. Hello sports fans and welcome back to the final segment of the show, which is this week's shout out. And this week I'm sending a shout out to the formation of the American Football League. In 1959, a Dallas businessman named Lamar Hunt was interested in buying the Chicago Cardinals and moving them to Dallas. However, the owner of the Cardinals at the time was not interested in selling the team, much less to Hunt. So... The rebuffed Dallas businessman began to make plans to put together a new football league along with his friend down in Houston named Bud Adams. Soon after, he put together a rough vision of the league with eight teams, mostly in cities that didn't have NFL franchises such as Buffalo, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Minneapolis, and Denver. In addition, Hunt wanted teams in the two biggest media markets of the country, which were, of course, New York and L.A., so by the fall of 1959, he announced that the new league would be called the American Football League with eight teams. With that announcement, the NFL kind of panicked and decided to expand after saying that it wasn't interested in expanding. One of the cities that, was, that the NFL was interested in was Minneapolis. The other, Dallas. With, they, with that, they quickly established the Vikings before the AFL had claimed the, team, they claimed the team in the Twin Cities and claiming another team in Dallas, which was Lamar Hunt's home. With the Minnesota market gone and a new city had to be chosen quickly, that city would be Oakland, California. So the teams would begin play in 1960 as the New York Titans, Buffalo Bills, Boston Patriots, Houston Oilers, which would all be in the Eastern Division of the league. The Western Division, meanwhile, would be consisted of the Dallas Texans, the LA Chargers, Denver Broncos, and the Oakland Seniors, which would be soon changed to the Oakland Raiders. After that first season that had seen the Oilers win the first of their two back-to-back -back AFL titles, most of the teams either barely broke even or their owners lost money. 
but the teams and his exciting style of play fascinated fans across the country. And over time, the league would force a merger in 1966, which brought about a big game every year called the Super Bowl. The American Football League was a league that profoundly changed the way the game was played, and its influence can still be felt today as the game has become more of a passing game. And it all started when a football fan was rejected from buying a struggling franchise and began to start his own league. That was this week's shout out. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. And remember to subscribe to this podcast and others located here on the Sports History Network. And also check out our Twitter page at HistoricallySP2. And until next time, so long. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.